like going on vacation, don't you? Yeah, I'm glad to be back. I am. Vacation was fantastic, wasn't it, Jack? Yeah, it was good. We had a good time. Jack's my son. That's why he went on vacation with me. Um, you know, in case you didn't know. Um, but, you know, there's something about uh, a, a calling, a vocation that, that is also a, a home. Um, not every, every one of us has a vocation. Every one of us has a calling. We all do. It may or may not be your job. You know, I need you to know this. Your, your vocation, your calling is not always what you do for work. Sometimes you work to support your calling. And each one of us has it. And there's a home place when you kind of fit in for whatever that call is for a season. Uh, my, mine so happens to be my vocation and my occupation uh, mixed together. And so I've missed being with you um, and I'm thankful to be back. I will promise you that I'm not going to preach two worth of sermons in this short time. Brian Threckle needed to know that. Um, I wanted to let you know. Uh, but I almost got preached out of the church by our very own dear friend, Dr. Richard Cabbage, who gave a reportedly fabulous message, faithful message last week. Thank you, Richard, so much. I'm so grateful. And if I'm going to listen on podcasts this week, and I'm looking forward to it. I'm just so grateful for so many things. Before I get started in the message proper, uh, I want to show you something. I want to share something with you. Uh, this is, uh, well, it's a piece of paper, um, but more than that, uh, not just ontologically, but it is a five-day reading program for the Bible. How many of you ever start the year thinking, I'm going to read the Bible this year? Right? I do it a lot, and I don't, do, <laughs> I don't follow through every year. Um, I try to pick up where I left off. But So this is what I'm going to do. I picked up this five-day Bible reading program for 2020, um, and I'm going to invite you all to do to do it with me. In fact, I'm going to put it in the church publications and on the church website, and I'm going to tell you there are three or four reasons why this is fantastic. Three that I have prepared for because I'm a preacher and I allow myself some latitude. One, this goes through uh, the whole Bible in a year in only five days a week. You don't have to read every day. It goes five readings a week which is great. The, the page here tells you that on those other two days, maybe you could read other biblical passages and study other Christian books, but let's get real. Those other two days are going to be catch-up for all of us. Uh, when we miss a day, you have five days instead of seven. It's fantastic. gives you a little bit of leeway, and that way if you miss a little bit, you don't have a lot to catch up, so it's fantastic. The other thing that's fantastic about the five-day Bible reading program is that it's set up relatively chronologically. All right, so based on the events of the Bible, it has Old Testament readings and New Testament readings. But as you know, in the Old Testament, there are books where things are happening that are kind of at the same time as other books will tell them. Well, the readings are selected in such a way where as reasonably as possible, you're reading one continuous narrative through the Old Testament and then in the New Testament. So it'll help you get a sense of the bigger story arc of the scriptures, which would be fantastic. Um, the other thing that's so fantastic about this is that you're not just reading the Bible straight through. Because if you've done that and you get to February and you're in Leviticus 2, you think, this is supposed to be inspiring, but I can't find it inspiring. We'll help you later. But while you're reading Leviticus somewhere in March, you'll be able to read other passages of the Bible too, so it can help you along the way. It's fantastic. Um, another thing that's really good about this is starting next week, we're going to begin a series of sermons in the church called Long Story Short. And the idea is to help us in six weeks to get the overarching 
message of the entire 66 books of the Bible in order to help us as we read the scriptures, to equip us to understand the big picture of the story that God tells through the scriptures so that we can be, uh, I hate to to use the word better readers, but uh, people who enjoy reading scripture and are able to really dig into it. And so I hope that you'll join me in this. The last reason that this is fantastic is it doesn't start on January 1st. It starts tomorrow. So you're not late. You're early. We're early. We can do it tomorrow. And so what I've got, I've got a couple of these in the back. I've got a couple of them. There's a a, a table in between the main restrooms call it the the growth resource table is what I'm calling it as of today. Um, It's got devotions and things, but this will also be there this afternoon after I wake up from my New Year's nap. Um, Nobody? Okay. Uh, I'm going to put it on the website and the church Facebook page so that you can follow along. And look, if you decide in March, you know, I kind of want to join everybody. Just pick up where we are. It doesn't matter. Remember, I'll tell you over and over, what matters to me when you read the Bible is not that you get it, that you have an emotional moment, that it knocks your socks off every single time you read it, but that you are putting your eyes and your ears on the, your eyes and your heart on the page, because I believe with all of my heart that the Spirit of God will speak a word for your life whenever we do. And you might not get it till tomorrow, you might not understand it till later, but the Spirit is speaking. And so, join us. The five-day Bible reading plan, 2020, will make it available for you. Now, I've got to confess that I have cheated. The title in the bulletin says that I am to offer you four resolutions. I'm only going to offer you three. Now, I really said that to soften the real confession. I cheated. Last night, I woke up in the middle of the night because I am aging. And I had the cookies. The cookies. All of the cookies. I did. And you see, Amanda and I have been doing this thing for about three or four days because it's a new year, right? Where we're eating whole foods. You know, the foods that you get when you shop the outside perimeter of the grocery store. The ones that you have to actually chop and cook. And we've been doing this thing where we limit our feeding window. I feel like a cattle, Vic, a feeding window for a certain amount of hours a day. And we've been fantastic. We felt like pros because we knocked it out for three days. Then I woke up in the middle of the night and I ate all the cookies. A new year feels like a, like a time to do something new, doesn't it? It does. I don't know why. It's new. The calendar's new. You've got a brand new calendar. You, it's a new year. You finally get to write 2020, and you can make all the optometrist references and jokes you want to. It's fantastic. And there's something within most people, I would say, that, that sees a new year and thinks life can be a little bit new. There could be something more to this life. We think about what life could be like. I could be better at this. I could do more of that. I could do less of that. I could become that. And you can see that impulse 
in, just like Coy mentioned, in the prevalent idea of the New Year's resolution. You can see that. Now, not everybody makes a resolution. Um, about 58% of Americans, according to a study, uh, make, that, make resolutions at the New Year. In fact, if you're looking for your calling and your vocation, maybe it's to study things like how many people make resolutions. I hear there's good money in that. Um, according to the same study, about 8% of people who make a resolution complete it. Most fall off by middle of February. Or at 11.30 p.m., January 4th, in front of, <laughs> in front of all of the cookies. <laughs> and that's a depressing fact. So some of you are thinking, I came here for good news, preacher. I, I have my New Year's resolution, and you came to tell me that I'm going to fail. I said, I don't know if you're going to fail. That's not up to me. But it's a pretty depressing fact, isn't it? And I wonder why it is. And so if you, if you look at the people who study the nature of habits, which is another thing apparently there's good money in, studying habits, um, maybe it's because we don't make our goals actionable enough. Like, for example, in 2020, I want to be healthy. There's no action in that. That's a state of being. How do you do that? What do you have to change to get there? So maybe you could say, I will walk 30 minutes three times a day. Or if you're Charlton, I'll walk at three in the morning in the dark carrying a tiny flashlight without reflective clothing two hours a day, one or the other. But at least that's actionable, right? That's something you can measure, something you can actually do, something you can change. But I think there's more to it than that, just actionable. I think to get to the root of why most resolutions and other things like that don't always work out is we need to understand that almost all of our behavior stems from things much deeper within us. Most of our behavior stems from things that are much deeper within us. Let's say, for example, that you eat when you're tired or stressed like me. And can you really tackle, uh, you want to eat more healthy if you don't handle the reason that you're fatigued day in, day out, or the reasons that you're stressed? You see, it's the roots. It's the roots. We're driven by deeper things, and I think you know that. We don't always know that when we're trying to change our lives. But we're driven by deeper things. Some of them are great things. Some of them are wonderful things that are deposited in our lives, maybe by families or other people. Some of them are not so wonderful. Just maybe they're ingrained habits that are thoughtless we don't even know. Maybe they're insecurities and fears, pain points, things we have left completely unresolved that drive us and we don't even know. But too often we try to change ourselves without changing those things. I tried that once in my front yard with a dollar weed. See, I went and pulled out a whole bunch of dollar weed in this big square, and I told my dad that I did it, and it turns out that I didn't because the roots are everywhere. You see, sometimes we try to change our behavior without dealing with the underlying things. Uh, One pastor, a friend of mine, he wrote this. He said, we must reject the belief that a self-improvement plan or resolution can produce lasting change. If we don't like something about ourselves, what do we usually do? Well, if I don't like something about myself, I just let Amanda tell me about it. I just wanted to get in on the marriage thing today. No, if we don't like something about ourselves, what do we usually do? We adopt some sort of a plan or a program to address the problem, hence the ever-growing popularity of self-help. Quite often, we choose 
listen very carefully here. Quite often we choose sin management and behavior modification over heart renewal and inside-out transformation. Most often we choose sin management and behavior modification over heart renewal and inside-out transformation. Now, sin management sounds great, right? That's what you're supposed to do, right? You're supposed to stop sinning. But did you remember that there were some religious people called the Pharisees that had done everything right on the outside and were still a mess on their hearts, and Jesus called them whitewashed tombs, meaning they were rotten on the inside, but they had painted themselves to look pure and good. You see, what we are looking for when we yearn for newness is heart transformation, inside-out transformation. And part of what's being described here in this quote is the difference between exercising our own willpower and yielding to the power of the Holy Spirit of God, which can change things. Willpower is a limited resource. It is an unreliable source of change. We only have so much of it. And your willpower on any given day is based on so many factors that you might not even be able to control, like how you feel or what you ate or what happened. And we can't count on having enough willpower to consistently grow and change. For example, I can go 23 hours without eating anything, but 1130 at night, I'm going to eat all the cookies. Willpower ran out. Willpower is a good thing. Willpower can help us resist our inner drives for a time, and it can help us uh, manage our behavior from a time, but it works from the outside. It can affect our behavior, but it can't change our hearts. However, the Holy Spirit is an infinite source of power that can and desires and wants to change even the deepest, hardest, rockiest parts of our life. The desire of God for you is not that you become something that looks and acts impressive enough for him to say, yeah, I know that guy or girl. The desire of God is to enter into your life with power and grace outside of yourself to transform you into something you never knew that you could be, and that is a pure and holy righteous child of God, into all that you were ever created to be. And willpower can't do that. Grace, Ephesians reminds us, grace is the power of our salvation through our faith. Not by our own works are we saved, not from our own strength. And so, the same thing is true not only in our salvation, but in our sanctification when it comes to the change and the growth that we long for in the new year. So I'll submit to you briefly uh, three resolutions that you might be able to use to connect to the power of God for the transformation inside out. The first one I'd submit to you is resolve to process and reflect. Resolve to process and reflect. I don't know who keeps a paper calendar anymore, but if you do, 2019 is likely to end up in a drawer or in a garbage can pretty soon or in the archive, and all of the days will be out of sight. But those days were just days ago, weren't they? They're not gone, are they? Proverbs 20, verse 5 says this, The purpose in a man's heart is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. 
reflect and process. Before you rush headlong into 2020, have you reflected on those days of the past year? What good happened? Are there big things? What, what good happened in big ways in your life and around your life? What little things, maybe daily mundane things that were good, happened to you? So much that's happened in the past, I guess it would be now 370 days. There's so much uh, in, within us that lies unexpressed and unthank, un, without gratitude and without uh, praise. So much that's in our lives that we can unearth to praise the Lord for, that maybe we just passed over. And then we could easily forget about. It's like a treasure trove sitting in your own soul of opportunities for you to cry out and say, thank you, God, and to connect in unity with God and gratitude and praise for all the things that he's done and for you to grow with God and in your faith. It's like like trying to make a million bucks and then getting your metal detector and going out in your backyard and saying, hey, Blackbeard buried his treasure back here. It's been back here the whole time. If you process and reflect, Don't let the days just go. Gosh, what about that back in February last year? That was a really precious thing. It's a treasure of thanksgiving and praise that you can still offer to the Lord. So what good happened to you last year? What about the other stuff? Have you processed all of the residue that the year has deposited in your life? Or have you done like most people do, which is try to run from that stuff as fast as humanly possible? Not everything that happens to us is good. The secret uh, for us to remember is that um, just because we put it out of mind doesn't mean it goes away. It's like barnacles on the hull of a ship or mineral deposits in the bottom of our water heater. They're going to be there until you take them off and they're going to affect your speed and the heat of your water and your life. Think about a beach ball. Think about a beach ball. So imagine you're at the beach, um, and because it's the summer and you made a New Year resolution to get buff, you're really buff at this point. So you've got the New Year's resolution uh, to do that, and you've got this beach ball, and you're at the beach, and, and for some reason this beach ball won't stay underwater, and you're just trying with all your might. I've got one, my one finger, and I'm just trying to keep it under the, under the water, and of course it's going every which way. And what, no matter what you try, no matter how hard you work at that, that beach ball is going to pop out of that water somewhere. It might fly out over here, fly out over there, fly out over there, fly out over there. You don't know where it's going to go. And the same thing is true in our lives when we have things in our our lives that are dark or difficult or hard. If we don't reflect on them and process them and allow God to come into them, uh, it's like holding that beach ball down, and it's going to pop out somewhere in your life. It will. And it might pop out at a time that it doesn't belong, in a place it doesn't belong, and you might dump it all over somebody it doesn't belong to because it's yours and not theirs. Somebody knows what I'm talking about. So process and reflect, and you might look back and say, I don't like what happened, but wow, I'm I'm trying to hold this beach ball down, and I didn't even know it. And you know what that does? gives you a chance to say, God, I've been holding this beach ball down and I don't even know it and I need your help. And it gives you a channel and an opening for you to cry out to God and for God to bring healing and redemption and light into those places in your life. And not only will you not have to spend all of your energy trying to keep it down anymore, you'll be free to follow God joyfully in whatever's next. 
So process and reflect. Make it a point. Reflection makes us aware of where we need to let grace flow. Reflection makes us aware of where we need to let grace flow. And processing opens the release valve. And God is all over all of that. All right. Number two. And some of you are going to leave at this point. Resolve to let go and surrender. Let go and surrender. Famous verse that you might know by heart, Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. Do not lean on your own understanding. Maybe it's just me. I don't think it is. We are prone to think that we can control everything into submission. The world, the happenings across the street and upstate and the the happenings of other people and we can control ourselves into submission. But listen, not everything can be solved with an extra measure of control. In fact, there's enough stuff in this world that will be broken if you try to control it more that it's worth trying this anyway. Some things can only be molded and transformed when we let go and surrender to the grace of God for that situation and for our lives. I know if we work hard enough, we can overcome the habit, we can put in a lot of effort, and we can feel better, we can spend all of our energy fighting those dragons. But you still might never slay them. And it turns out we might be fighting in vain. We can't just work on controlling our behaviors and the things around us. We need to let God take control. We need to surrender to God's grace that can transform us along the way to let God take control of things. I don't know if you know this or not. God told Job in the book of Job, which is for the, that's the book formerly known as Job. I'm kidding. That's a bad joke. Carry on. He told Job, he said, Job, while you're complaining, were you there? Job, when I, God, put the sun in its place. Were you there when I put the land and seas in their place, set the world spinning. The point is, is that God has got the days and the events. God has got the grace to go before us. God hasn't. What if we let go and let God have it? Could you imagine that maybe the thing that you've got planned out or the thing that you're holding so tight that you think you desperately need to fix or have, what if God has something better and different? And I know that when God brings something into our lives, it is the best thing. Could you imagine? So what are you trying to control? Who are you trying to control? Maybe you're trying to control the next 360 days all the way down to New Year's Eve 2020. I invite you to let go. Let go of control and surrender to God who has the power to handle the days and to transform our hearts. And here's the last one and maybe the most important. Above all things, resolve to seek Jesus with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. Above all things, do whatever it takes to keep your eyes on Jesus Do whatever it takes to run after Jesus with all of your might. Let nothing deter you 
Let nothing distract you. And if at any time something tempts you, may God give you the courage to set it aside so that you can follow God with everything that you have. Everything. Everything. Seek Jesus, because in Jesus is everything you've ever wanted, and you just don't know it yet. Seek Jesus, because in him is the source of life. If I get a little bit skinnier in the middle, I'll have a happier life. But if I'm seeking Jesus, I'll have eternal life. So I think there's a little bit of trade-off here. Seek him, for he is the grounding of all joy, the source of being, the source of all light. He is the one who uh, gives us life and life eternal and will help us, as he says in his own words, live life to the full. Seek him with everything. And you might say, well, I can't seek him with everything because I've got to put food on the table and I've got to put clothes on my back and I've got to prepare for the future. And it is true that those are things that we need. But listen to what Jesus says about those things in Matthew chapter 6. He says, Therefore, do not, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat. Well, that I felt good about because I ate the cookies last night and now I'm no longer worried about it. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink or about your body or what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? And then I'll carry on a little uh, down to verse 30. But if God so clothes the grass of the field and he feeds the birds of the air, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Therefore do not worry saying what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear? For it is the Gentiles who strive for all these things and indeed your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But strive first for the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. Or in the, ver- the version that I memorized it in, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added unto you. Seek first the kingdom of God. Seek Jesus all that you are and watch in amazement as God takes you uh, and takes care of things that you've been struggling with and you've been trying to fix on your own. Fix your eyes on Jesus and watch as other things fall into place and you go into places you did not know that you were going to go and that God carries you into journeys that you did not know you were going to take. And you can look back and say, wow, with my eyes fixed on Jesus, look at the blessing and opportunity and serendipity and grace that is all piled up all around me that I never could have conjured up on my own, that I didn't even try for. I think it would be amazing. I think it would be amazing if, if I could, you know, lose the 15 pounds that keep me from buttoning my suit jacket. But what good would that do Jesus says, if I gained the whole world and forfeit my soul? What good would it do if I did this and forfeit my soul? So I'm going to invite you to seek Jesus. Seek Jesus. Resolve to seek Jesus with all that you are. And my hope and prayer is that at the end of this year, we can each look back and we can say, wow, look at what the Spirit of God did in my life and our life when all of us did everything that we could to keep our eyes on Jesus. Look at all the, the blessing and the changed lives and all of the wonderful glory that happened around us that we never could have engineered or conjured up on our own because we kept our eyes on Jesus. And I hope we can say that at the end of the year. So, rely not on your own willpower. 
but on the Spirit of God for change. And resolve to reflect and process. Resolve to let go and surrender. And resolve to follow Jesus with all of your heart, your soul, and your strength. I invite you to pray with me. Father, in all of my so-called experience and advanced training, religiosity, I still don't know what it looks like to seek the kingdom of God every day or every day of the week or every day of the month, but I want to. Teach me, O God. Teach me that I might follow after you with every ounce of my being. And may it be so for all of us that we might seek you and have all of the transformation and fresh newness that we yearn for in our lives and in our world. And as we come to the table for Holy Communion and meet with you in a fresh and special way, may you speak to us as we take you within ourselves that you might transform us from the inside out. We thank you and praise you in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. I'm going to invite you to turn with me to page number 12 in your hymnal or